Lindy Norris is a force. I first heard of Lindy when she was named Marketing Magazine's Top 30 Under 30. And as someone just a few years behind her in communications, I immediately felt like a failure by comparison. And yet, when I got close to her work ethic, I understood what all the fuss was about. Lindy is a rare kind of person who truly gives 100% of herself to everything she does. And as her spin instructor, I can verify this applies to fitness, too. A marketing maven, Lindy is the Director of Marketing and Public Affairs at New Flyer Industries, working with international teams. Her career in marketing, advertising, and strategy boasts roles with high-profile companies, and on top of these achievements, she is a serial giver. She gives back to the community through initiatives like Athena Leadership, a women's leadership and mentorship group, of which she is the founder, the Community Shirt Project that raised 25000 for Harvest just this past year, and likely many more that I'm not aware of. For all that she's done, Lindy has been given the Queen Diamond Jubilee Medal for Community Contribution and was recently named a Distinguished Alumna by the University of Manitoba. Today, we're talking to Lindy about her TEDx talk called How to Fail Better and how this applies to those of us grappling with failure and loss in 2020. Lindy is also a dear friend of mine, and I am so thrilled to welcome her to the Yes, You Can podcast. Welcome, Lindy. Thanks, Anna. <laughs> Lindy did a great job of staying quiet during that whole intro, <laughs> which is a hard thing to do when somebody else is singing your praises, I know from experience. So, Lindy, let's get right into it. I was watching your TEDx talk, which I had previously seen, and was struck by how how topical this is today in 2020. This talk was five years ago. You delivered it so eloquently. And it's called How to Feel Better. So why don't you take us through a little bit of a synopsis about the talk, and, and then we'll get into how this applies to us today, still five years later. Well, man, uh, 2020 has been quite the year, and I clearly had no idea in uh, early 2016 that this is where it would take us. Um, so first of all, doing a TED Talk is um, fairly terrifying. Uh, so that I think my talk was 16 or 17 minutes, absolutely no prompter, no notes, no nothing. So the entire time I was terrified. I'm not sure if you could pick that up while you were watching. But um, honestly, it was, it was a huge, huge honor to be able to do, but mostly uh, terrifying as well. So um, I wanted to talk about failure because it's something that's um, it's real. We all experience, especially in the earlier parts of our lives as we're figuring ourselves out, um, going through career transitions, navigating school, switching careers, pivoting, uh, and pivot is now a really magical word for 2020. So <laughs> I can't, I can't pivot anymore. I can't talk about pivoting. Like we need to figure out exactly. a different word. Exactly. So, so I talked about in my TEDx how resilience is formed through failure and how life is not linear and how we need to be able to pivot. Um, but I also talk about this, um, this strange dichotomy we have, which is in the early parts of our lives. And I use the analogy of a baby learning to walk. Like you get up, you fall, you get up, you fall, you get up and you fall again and you stumble and you do all sorts of fun things. Um, but you're encouraged and, and you're cooed and coddled. And then when we get to later life, uh, and we stumbled, it's not, there's no reception for that. Uh, and, and, you know, we hear the term now cancel culture. Um, we don't allow people missteps. We don't, we don't allow the space to grow and learn and have dialogue. So, um, the crux of that, that Ted talk was really about why 
why is it that we get to this point in life and we aren't allowed the same growth and why aren't we encouraged to develop and advance through failure because there's so much learning and reflection and perspective and flexing our muscles to eventually develop resilience and so then I I talked a lot about resilience and how the only way to develop that is to go through the tough stuff which 2020 has been the incubator of that in in every sense of the word. I don't know a single person that hasn't been touched by pain and tragedy and stress and anxiety. The world in its current state alone, I mean, we're we're experiencing something like five simultaneous global crises right now. That alone is stressful. but, But on top of that, people have experienced personal hardships and loss and tragedies. And it just seems like every single person is being pushed to their absolute brink right now. And through this really bizarre dark period, we're all getting a hell of a lot stronger. And what's really encouraging and beautiful at the same time is that we've seen our community rally like absolutely never before. Uh, And so there's, there's probably a lot that I could expand on now. um, Having started that talk several years back about failure and resilience. And uh, you can probably now write a novel on this year. You should. I, <laughs> I know. I don't know. I don't, I don't want to write a book right now. Um, but that that's really the premise of it. And, um, and in, in that talk, I also talked about um, developing your sounding board and your people and your tribe. And in, at that point in time, um, I was talking about Athena leadership because you know, it's come to light that I've gotten so used to having incredible people in my life um, and really motivated, supportive, um, unconditional, hardworking women and men in my life. Um, I've kind of just grown used to feeling like it's natural. And and I've realized it's not. Even just recently talking to somebody, she said, like, man, I don't have anybody like that in my life. And, and it really just reminded me, like, it takes a lot to find that space in those people. And those are the ones that push you forward. So a lot of the resilience and navigating failure and going through the really, really uncomfortable stuff in life, especially when you hit your lowest lows, it's an incredible opportunity to redefine yourself and your goals and what you want out of it. And who, who are those people around you that are going to lift you up? And so, um, the analogy is that you are most like the five people that you spend most of your time with. So you really got to think hard about what that looks like. And if, if you don't like what that looks like, then there's some tough work for you to do ahead if you, if you truly want more out of it. Um, but I guess the, the underlying message is that you have to go through it. You alone have to drive yourself through this really uncomfortable time because no one else is going to do it for you. Um, so that, and I think, I think we all feel that right now very much so. So this this year has taught us all a lot. Yeah, I I, I mean I couldn't agree more. I think we could just like like stop the podcast right there. <laughs> this is like a motivational moment for everybody because uh, I think in this in some ways this year has been in regards to failure and loss, and I always sort of correlate those to grief. I found let me, let me pause when I, so I, I already did a podcast episode about my own loss this year. I lost my job. And that, that for me was, had never happened before in my career of, of working anywhere, even at 15, you know, 14 working at Kelsey's, I've never been let go. <clears throat> I've only ever been promoted and it was a loss of the job, but it was also loss of, a, of my identity as a successful person 
And I had to grieve kind of this like identity that I had really tightly associated with my ego. And I, I really loved that about the talk that too, was that you talked about this identity and mm-hmm. when everything's stripped away and we fail, what's left. And that's where resilience can be born out of. And because I had gone through, uh, uh, a loss of a person in my life, which is, you know, what mm-hmm. this whole podcast is based on is, is grief. I felt actually pretty, pretty well prepared. And I was shocked by how similar the experiences were because in both, both whatever times in my life, I was at the lowest of my low for that year. And it was really interesting to me, the people who showed up as like to be there with me, to like walk alongside me with this shame and grief, because you are broken wide open. You are the most vulnerable you're ever going to be. Everybody can see what's happening to you. And so those five people are people you try and, you know, bring into your life, but there's also going to be unexpected ones who, who pop in. And I think you were one of those people for me who showed up when I graduated from my, my program, you dropped off a bottle of wine and a card, a handmade card, which is so sweet. And, and when I told you about this loss, it was like, okay. And you were sending me gigs right away. And it wasn't ever that I was this, you know, broken person that you didn't want to be with. Like, it was almost like, okay, this wasn't the right fit for you. This really sucks. Let me know what you need. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think that that's how we can show up for each other because it's one thing to try and to, to put yourself alongside successful people, but, and I totally agree with that, but I also have this like very internal group of people who I know will show up for me Mm-hmm. Um, and there are surprise, there might be a surprise, like for the, for our listeners, you might have people that you don't see every day necessarily, but who are the ones that you're going to call if something really, if shit hits the fan in some way. And I think that's, that's a really important thing to recognize is that you can be that for somebody else. And it doesn't have to be somebody that you're super close with because this year is all about connecting with each other and realizing that we're all mm-hmm. in this like unexpectedly vulnerable place where we recognize that each other has needs and wants and you know we're just we're just trying to do the best we can so I I I wanted to go into like this shame a little bit and like how have you dealt like after because we can talk about this and talk about resilience I talk about it all the time when I'm teaching you know like overcoming challenges resiliency going through it grief seeing this pinhole of light, I, this is like something that I talk about all the time, but the shame is something that can, I think, hold you back from developing resiliency. And I think part of moving through that is, is actually like owning your failure and, and just like kind of ripping off the bandaid and telling me you need to tell, because if you keep it a secret, it's going to become more shameful. How have you tried to own that to overcome that like shame hangover or from like vulnerability hangover that's, that's created from having shame as a result of failure or loss. Well, that's a, uh, it's quite a concept of shame hangover. Uh, <laughs> that was really a preamble. There's, there's so many things I want to talk about Sure. Um, there. And you know, like you really, when you're raw and broken open, as you were just describing, 
sometimes you're really surprised by who shows up and who doesn't. And, and I, I truly think the more you get knocked down, the easier it is to get right back up again. Um, and, you know, it's kind of a, an interesting analogy, but my brother-in-law is an NYPD officer and one of his social media profiles is I lift up heavy things and I put them back down again. <laughs> and so, you know, our lives are a collection of, of yeah. heavy moments too. And especially this year where we're really, all of us are carrying heavy things. Sometimes you learn to put them back yeah. down, but we're going to have to pick them back up again at some point. And as strange as that analogy yeah. is, it's so true because the more you flex that muscle, the more you develop your re- resiliency. Um, and when things don't go well, man, it's just, it is something else. Um, because, and, and, and as you alluded to, like in my talk, I was, I was referring to how we develop this social armor. Um, and, and however we craft that, is up to us. And so sometimes it's material things, sometimes it's titles or power or whatever it is. Uh, But deep, deep down, we're still, we're still somebody who's driven by values, whatever those values look like. And so when all of the superficial stuff, our social armor is, is stripped away, which is often our ego, it's, it's real hard to take that deep, hard look. Um, And, and so again, like the, the more you get knocked down, the easier it is to get back up. But you gotta, you really gotta get to the root of like, who am I and what do I want out of this life? And so you've referred to your job loss. That is really hard stuff. Mm-hmm. That's really hard. And, and for people like us who are who are Type A, who are driven, who who you know, failure failure is not. That's not that's not gonna happen to me. Like that's not that's not an option. I never planned for that. Uh, but when that's out of our control, that's a pretty uncomfortable space. You said something in your talk that I wrote down, which was. I'm a type A and never needed a plan B. And that struck me. It's like, yes, I was like, I didn't need that. It was like, amen, like a hundred percent. You're like, this isn't in any of my plans. Like this, I control the world. I control my world. And how I do that is by, you know, achieving more and, and being on top of my game. And this, when you feel like the rug has been pulled out from under you and you have this plan B, it's, it can be very, it can be like a loss of identity that you're grappling with while trying to still Absolutely. move forward. Mm-hmm. And it, you know, it's in, in moments like that are a real gift. And as much as I'm sure, um, I'm sure if we were sitting in an audience right now, somebody would throw something in my head, but um, 2020 is a gift. It honestly is. And, and I'm not saying this to sound chichi frou frou, but, but honestly, what we're learning this year has given us 10 years minimum of experience, both, both, life experience, you know, work experience, personal, whichever, it has truly shown us who we are as people and who the people around us um, are and, and how we want to surround ourselves moving forward. I know, I know a lot of people who have looked at their lives and, and decided to make change based on the value of, of wanting more out of life moving forward. It's so easy to be busy, but 2020 has really shown us that there's so much more. And for many of us, um, there's, there's a little bit of that pivot happening right now. Um, but again, I didn't, I didn't plan to have a completely different option or path. So I don't mm-hmm. in my life and gone to do a program and got there. And, um, I guess for lack of better words, it just was not what I thought it was going to be. It wasn't the caliber that I thought it was going to be. <laughs> I just sat there. I'm like consumed by anxiety. I, <laughs> There was never going to be another option. So I was definitely at a crossroads um, in terms of what to do next. Uh, but again, that that was a gift. That that month, that year, I learned so much that taught me a lot. Um, 
it's a lot of introspection, a lot of deep digging, a lot of reflection. What do I want out of life? Um, who do I want in my life? What do I want moving forward? How how can I not repeat this experience and not have blinders on? Because I definitely yeah. do that, I think, with blinders. I'm like, everything's going to be perfect and rosy. I'm going to do this. I'm going to get out in here. I'm going to go get the shiny job. Life is good. So yeah. so that, that I had not planned for. Um, but man, I, everything's meant to happen for a reason. So here, here I am. And I've, I've had so many incredible experiences in those five years since then. And I'm at such an interesting place in life that I could never have predicted. Um, but man, yeah, that, that ooh, failure, just like, there's so many emotions that come with that, as you said, and shame is one of them. And it's just not up. It's not a place of comfort. And Tomorrow, any of us could go through hardship or loss and, and still wouldn't be ready for it, even even if we had identified past moving forward. Yeah. Um, just, yeah. You, just something you just you just can't control. Well, and I think, you know, that so for those of you who haven't listened to the talk, um, Lindy made a she spoke about going to do an MBA program. And so an MBA program is like kind of a, a generally it's it's a hard program to get into. It's a it's a, I think, I think it's a status symbol in some ways for your career. Um, anytime you're doing a graduate program, it's, it's like, I'm a, I'm a person who's leveling up even further. And what's, what's funny, I don't know if you remember this, but I actually was getting marketing material from this same program that you applied to and then went to and decided it wasn't for I you. Do. <laughs> I, remember, I remember we talked about it because you were, you were exploring MBAs or master's programs at the yeah. time that went for your master's of philanthropy. I remember that. Yeah. I was looking at MBAs and this one was in San Francisco. And so Lindy not only, you know, went to a program and decided it wasn't for her, but she had uprooted her life, went to San Francisco, decided it wasn't for her and came back. And I think another sort of quality or characteristic that goes along with, with, failure is also courage because uh, as people know, I, I am assuming they've listened to other episodes. I've talked about relationships. I've been engaged in the past and decided mm, this is not what I think will be good for me and canceling that or making a big pivot in your life can feel like a sort of a shameful failure experience, but if you're in this moment to anybody who's listening and you know, something that's deep in your gut is not right for you. I just want to encourage you to trust your intuition. Cause I think that's something that Lindy and I are sort of are alluding to is that your intuition will lead you through some of these experiences and maybe even prompt them. They might be the catalyst for them. And if you can really trust yourself and what you think feels right for you, you're going to come out the other side, but it's going to be hard at first because you're going to go through what may be perceived as a failure to other people, leaving a program, leaving a relationship, canceling, whatever it is. On the other side of that usually lies the path that you're supposed to be on, whether you believe things happen for a reason or not. I do. And I do that you think that you can learn things and that what Lindy was saying about 2020 being a gift. I agree. And I say this from somebody who's lost things this year. And Lindy has had a, you know, you haven't had an easy year in terms of being in a relationship with somebody who lives in a different country and having to navigate all of those things. So if you can say that it's been a gift, I, I think everybody else should, should sort of come alongside that notion too. Um, I, 
yeah, I'm, I'm really inspired by this. And I know it can be really hard for younger people to sort of figure out or even believe that on the other side of failure lies success or maybe a better, a better thing for you, if that makes sense. Because at, at this point in your life, when you're looking at MBA programs, were you thinking that you wanted to live in the States and like have this career there? Like, what was the, what was the thinking that, that we can hear from you on like how big of a pivot it was to come back home? I think so. I, I mean, I wasn't, I wasn't sure exactly where I would head after that program. So I'm not sure that I had decided exactly where I was going to live, but I did not think that I would be right back in Winnipeg, um, you know, just less than a month later. So that, that was truly something I wasn't ready for. Um, but there really is something special about Manitoba and this city. There really is 100%. Um, I spent a lot of time in a lot of different cities and different places. Uh, and, and, you know, as you know, my husband's a New Yorker, uh, there is something special about this place. There is a really, really strong heartbeat here. There's a really, incredible sense of resilience and pride and community support. Um, so there's, there's a lot that goes with that. And you touched on courage and absolutely there's, there's lots about going through that, but part of, part of failure too is, um, and, and navigating through it and developing resilience is not hiding it. Um, so there's a lot of tendency to just hide what we're going through, you know, whether, whether it's a job loss, you know, not telling people, um, or whether you're going through personal hardship, again, not telling people, um, we've, we've all been through so much this year. I mean, I've, I was separated. I have been separated for a minimum of seven months of, of the 11 months of 12 months of this year so far from my now husband. And as you know, I had, Oh, that's a whole other side, but as you know, I, I was able to get to New York and we got married in the middle of the pandemic. Um, there was no wedding. There's no nothing. And still we haven't had a chance to celebrate that. Like there's, there's loss in that. There's grief in that. Absolutely. Realized and gone through. And I'm like, wow, we really didn't actually get to celebrate anything. Um, you know, a very, very close family member of mine, my aunt um, was diagnosed with stage four cancer recently. There was another tragic loss in my family this year. Like every, everyone's just holding so much and going through so much, but um, at the root of it is again, who's going to be there and, and how are you going to show up for others as they're going through the same, despite everything you're carrying on your own. And sometimes you, you can't, you can't give to others if you honestly don't have anything left. So I'm not saying go forth and, and support everyone uh, because sometimes you you really do have to take care of yourself first um, but what I do know for sure is that everybody will go through these moments in their lives and as you get older and a little more wiser it's it just it happens to everyone and it it's I won't say it's common like massive massive life pivots are not necessarily that common but the point I want to make is the grace that you show others or the grace that they show you through the really hard times is so incredible. And it's also very telling. It's so easy to be popular when everything's going great and to want to associate yourself with um, shiny people and things. That's, that's easy stuff. That's easy. But when, when your life breaks open um, and, and you've lost a sense of identity or you've made a mistake and you don't know how you're going to go forward. The grace that you show others and that they show you is something that number one, you'll never forget, but it's, it's something they'll never forget. And so again, like this cancel culture, and I, I've, I've watched how people are treated on social media and, and the things they say to each other. And it's so easy to jump all over somebody for something they said that 
you didn't agree with or that honestly may have been wrong or completely out of touch or offensive. But this cancel culture, man, it's just painful to watch because everyone's going to make missteps, everybody. And so the way you treat others when you're going through moments or when they're going through moments, like you better think about when your life is at rock bottom, how you'd like to be treated. And so, you know, like this, this terrible analogy of what Susie says of Sally says more about <laughs> Sally. I don't, I don't even know who wrote that. But there is some truth in that. Like give, give others grace. Cause my God, like this year has been hard and it's exhausting and we've gone through loss and change and we're still going to moving forward. People in our lives will lose their jobs. They will lose their health. They will have in, encounter divorces. Like you name it, just pick something. We're all going to go through this at some point in our lives. And so thinking about how you want to feel on the other side of that and who's standing next to you is a pretty powerful point of reflection. Um, it's hard. It's hard stuff. Yeah. It's, it's really hard. And there's a few things that like you were, as you were saying, I was nodding emphatically, which obviously nobody's going to see except for you and I, but, um, the, the cancel culture, like a movement is something that I think is incredibly toxic and it's not because, you know, I think, I think getting called out and people speaking up and breaking the silence of, of just consenting to really terrible social norms is a good thing. But I think the way that you call someone out is indicative of what your true goal is, because if your true goal is to work through and have dialogue and have conversation and evoke change, there has to be a degree of grace for that person to learn because if they don't, if they're not extended that they're immediately going to feel defensive and that you're, you're coming, your intentions are to attack, not to educate inform, um, or, or create change. So it, unfortunately social media has created these like social indicators that if you're speaking up about something and you're the loudest in the room, then you must be a good person rather than, maybe having a really direct one-on-one conversation with a person who may have said something, done something that it was maybe totally not okay. But in order for them to actually have this moment for change, there needs to be a conversation that is a little bit more balanced. And sometimes opening that up isn't through a full fucking paragraph of like, this is what you did wrong. This is what you did this wrong. Cause that feels again, like shame. And when you're in that shameful moment, your immediate, your secondary emotions usually to like get angry or attack, especially if you don't know this person, because you're like, who are you to tell me anything? Um, so I, the example I use is, is this program that I started when I was working with the bombers was called break the silence on violence against women. And we had these football players with a like diverse background come to learn about consent and violence against women. And they signed up being like, well, I'm not violent. I've never hit anybody, whatever. And we started talking about how violence is actually on a spectrum. Mm -hmm. And it, it starts with respecting women and what consent is. And we talked about things like cat calling and like nonviolent indicators of that are on this spectrum of that can lead to violence, doesn't always, but can lead to violence. And their minds were blown. But we didn't go in there and being like, okay, all you big, dumb, idiot football players who've, who've been doing this your whole lives, like, like this, is the, this is what 
it's right and you've been wrong. And, you know, we allowed for space and we allowed for questions. And part of the training was, was there's a part portion where I actually left the room and they, the trainer that we had was like, I want them to be able to feel completely vulnerable. And there has to be a moment where they, they aren't afraid to ask questions. And by the third training, you know, I stayed in the room cause they knew me at that point, but it was really interesting cause they kind of would put their hands up and be like, I was never taught this. And they come with this, like, you know, kind of smaller, even physical stature as they're asking the question, because they're clearly ashamed of not knowing this. And it's this reckoning, but because we did it in a way that allowed for, for learning and we kind of normalized it. Um, it, it then created these amazing ambassadors who would go out and talk to high school students. And like, like if you were drinking or on drugs, you can't consent to sex. And like, and they would be super excited about teaching all these things. But had I gone there and been like, as I said, you know, attacking them for their ignorance on this issue, I never would have been able to create change and we never would have been able to do what we did. Unfortunately, I feel like social media is more focused on calling people out and shaming them than education. And I'm not sure how we're going to get out of this loop unless we like make a concerted mm-hmm. effort to do so. Anyway. Yeah. And, you know, when you think about the kind of community you want to live in, you really got to think about like, do I want to walk down the street and be uh, interrogated by people for what I'm wearing or what I just said in the grocery line? Or do I want to live in constant fear of my missteps? No, no, I do not. That's exhausting. And it's toxic, as you said. Um, You know, and as you know, I'm super passionate about the community. And I truly believe that um, if you want to have a sense of what's going on around you in your world, like get involved with your community so you can have a pulse on what's happening and what's most needed and where the areas of, of hurt and pain are most occurring so that you can help and you can help those people. And so, um, I, I don't know who wrote this quote, but a rising tide lifts all boats, all boats. So if you succeed, it does not mean that I also cannot succeed or that I also cannot be happy. It doesn't mean that, you know, if you succeed, I fail. That's not how it works. A rising tide lifts all boats. And so if you think about the interactions on social media, I mean, the more we engage in cancel culture, the more we collectively start to bring ourselves down further and further because we're just getting to a place where we're driven by um, fear or hate or insecurity or, you know, anything really that's got a negative connotation to it. So you really got to stop and then think about what kind of world do I want to live in? How do I want people to interact with me or to treat me? And um, how? how do I want little kids to look at us as adults? What kind of world do I want to create for them? We have enough, we have enough problems in this world right now. It's, it's so easy to just kind of throw a little bit of shade at somebody in social media or to hide behind an alias. Um, that that's something that particularly frustrates me because you can't have a dialogue with somebody anonymously one-on-one. You'd be really surprised from what happens when you have a a conversation with a real person, a real conversation. Um, But it, man, it's so easy just to kind of gang up on others. Um, and I'm so glad Instagram did not exist when I was in high school because man, like, high, school, high school was awkward enough. I I had enough. I had enough experiencing 
you know, bullying and, and looking like Astro Boy until um, I was 17 years old. I'm serious. High school was hard enough. And yeah. I can't imagine, I cannot imagine how difficult it must be to try and navigate that right now. So again, like a rising tide lifts all boats is such a powerful concept to think about. You have to think about the world you want to live in and you have to think about your responsibility within that and the accountability that comes with being mean or me, you know, being a bully. And, and when you're on the receiving end of that, you, you never forget that experience and you never forget how it made you feel. And so, um, you know, I, I, yeah. I'm in my, my mid thirties now, and I can think of distinct moments in my life that have so much pain with them. Um, not because I remember exactly what people said, but how it made me feel. And so Maya Angelou has a very powerful quote yeah. People will forget what you did. They'll forget what you said, but they will never forget how you made them feel. Yeah. And so when you're when you're at your lowest points uh, and people are still throwing stones at you, that's pretty powerful stuff. Um, not necessarily in a good way, but that that you really have to think about, like how how did my actions make somebody feel? And and often we don't know how pervasive that is. And so if I think back to my younger years and, and the bullying I experienced. I don't, I don't think those people have any idea how deep those cuts were. Did it for me, you know, in terms of who I am today? Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm. It did, uh, did make it easier, but I I think we just have to think about what, um, you know, failure or, or missteps or navigating, um, could be like for the person on the other side. And there's, there's so much social and societal change happening right now for the better. We saw one of the biggest social movements in our, in our history this year with black lives matter. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of powerful dialogue there. And there's a lot of learning and missteps that comes with that. Yeah. And so we got to think about the great, and sorry, I should caveat this. If somebody's trying to have a dialogue with you and, and, and honestly, if somebody chooses to continue to be disrespectful or hurtful to others, that's, that's different than what I'm completely different. Yeah, completely different. But there's a lot of learning and dialogue and, and, and painful vulnerability that can come with this. And so there's just, you've really got to think about the greater good and the community you're in and how you're contributing to that. Um, and the dialogue that goes along with it. I couldn't agree more. And you know, like all of this is with the caveat that if somebody is, is, uh, a, a racist person who is perpetuating racist views or any sort of view that hurts people, um, and, and refuses to change, that's, that's different than, than, you know, having a dialogue or wanting to have a dialogue with, with a person who, who may not know better and may have not had the advantage of, of the advantage you've had in your life and your perspective, because I've, and I don't, you're really good at attributing quotes to people. I just like absorb them and then forget. (laughs) (laughs) But everybody you meet has something to teach you. Everybody you meet knows something you don't. And thinking about that concept is, is always something that, that helps me sit back and try and listen more when I'm, when I'm meeting people and not assuming that, that I know everything and they don't. Um, I think what we're really talking about is like every person has potential, right? And if we were to give up on people who, who, you know, didn't grow up with parents who thought that every single person was worth the same. And there was that equity for all as, as an overall goal that we should have, or didn't grow up in a diverse neighborhood or grew up even worse with people who thought the opposite. And we just discounted them, um, as being, you know what, you're, you're, you're you have no potential 
to contribute now because this is what your perspective is, then we're going to be discounting a lot of people. And so what I love about the, the Black Lives Matter movement, like quote unquote, besides the fact that we're finally talking about some of these racial inequities that are so systemic, um, we're realizing how deep it goes as people who are, who are not a person of color, who are not black, that we have an active role to play. But also the fact that there's been this education of people and I've seen it firsthand. I talk about, um, I I'm really inspired. I really didn't talk about what you're doing for December and you're raising, um, money for a particular organization, um, that's, I believe is situated in the North end. If you, if you, I'm, I'm correct, right? It's in the North end of the city. Um, kind of, it's more, it's more inner city. Inner city. Yeah. Okay. So I grew up in the North end of the city, um, like in the heart of it. And I say that, you know, Arlington bridge, four streets past King Edward schools where I went, then Lansdowne Northgate mall was my mall that I went to. And then I moved into river Heights, um, at, for school, but still lived in the North end. And I had a very interesting experience of going to school with people who didn't, who had never been to the North end. Like truly, they could not, my, my peers couldn't remember ever going to the North end. And we talked about bullying and all that sort of stuff. I just wasn't one of the girls who had all the stuff. I didn't have access to the things I like the really expensive hobbies and clothes. And my mom sewed a lot of our clothes and it was very weird going to a school all of a sudden where people had like Mercedes as their own car, Never mind. Our car was like secondhand and had <laughs> like, was, yeah. it was, it's crazy. And I think about those people, I'm like, hey, those people have didn't have the same experience I did and probably dismissed even the area I grew up in as one that was kind of, you know, dirty and poor and dangerous and all those sorts of things. When I knew my neighbors were amazing people, a lot of them were newcomers. And um, I just, I hope that that everybody can understand that we all have something to learn. And so if you are prompted to like join this swell of canceling somebody or adding a comment, just pause because we're all going to have missteps. We're all going to fail in this way. And we're never, we're never going to be perfect. And because there's always learning to be done. I agree. And I, I honestly think that as you experience more of life, um, I, you know, I don't want to necessarily say older because our years are filled with different sorts of experiences. So some people I think have a, a wealth of wisdom by the time they're 40. Um, when it feels like you've lived four or five lives already. Um, and, and everyone's, everyone's experience is different. Um, you know, and you, you made some, some good comments with respect to, um, privilege and uh, workplace and that sort of thing. And I actually wanted to share something that I learned just last week. I actually heard this woman named Arlene Huggins uh, speak. She's a partner at a law firm in Toronto. And it was one of those mind-blowing moments where I just had to sit there and think about it. Like we've talked about how as women, um, we want to break that glass ceiling and we want to break through. And, and, you know, you got to strive to just break through that. How are we going to do that? And last week, um, it was it was a, a forum speaking about bias in the workplace and um, diversity and inclusion. So I should preface it with that. Um, and so Arlene Huggins said, you know, we talk a lot about the glass ceiling, um, but the glass ceiling is actually rooted in white privilege, if you think about it. She said, women of color and people of color, that's they they barely even ever come close to that glass ceiling. Never mind break it. And I really had to sit there and think about that. 
because it was such a powerful concept. Absolutely. And, and what a privilege to even come close to it. Mm-hmm. So that is, that is really something that I had to sit there and think about because my whole life I've been like, you know, let's go break the glass ceiling. Let's fight for <laughs> equality. Let's help women advance. But man, I really learned so much in that hour that I spent listening to her. Um, and that's really what it's about is listening to that perspective and challenging your own beliefs and learning about others' experiences and how you can better yourself from there, but also how you can better those around you. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, I'm like, as I, I'm ser- I'm a serial supporter and giver of, of everything in the community. And, and it's because I truly believe that your community is only as strong as those who are struggling most, you have to, you have to help lift it up. You have to, you have to help where you can. And, you know, I sit here in a warm home. I have food in my fridge. I feel extremely fortunate, especially given the year we've had. Why wouldn't I, why wouldn't I help others and try, try and learn more about what they're experiencing and how I can improve their lives and, and walk a day in their shoes? Why not? I couldn't agree more. And the, the thing about privilege, which I I never actually articulated that word. So thank you for, for reminding me of it was even as I'm reflecting on, on growing up in the North end of the city, you know, people over profit is the, is the unofficial tagline, right? It's literally on a building. I grew up there, but had a completely different experience than people who were my neighbors who uh, English wasn't their first language. Maybe maybe they were a person of color. There's obviously an incredibly high indigenous population there. Um, I was a, a white, blonde-haired, blue-eyed kid. And I was ex- trying to explain this to somebody who I was having a conversation with about privilege. And I was trying to get them to acknowledge their own privilege. <laughs> I was like, you have to see this. You have to see that as a white man you have been given a certain amount of privilege. And I'm like, it's just like, it's the benefit of the doubt. Like I have been in places where I, I was accused of stealing once at, at 7-Eleven. I've never stolen anything in my life to be clear. And I was aghast. This, I was like 13, mind you. I was aghast that they would have the audacity to even suggest something. And I tore into the manager and was like, my mom is going to call you. <laughs> I was like my own like little That's Karen. Very bold. <laughs> I was very bold. My own little Karen. Because I felt empowered by my experience of being like, I am not a person who steals. And we think about a person, a different experience. If I looked different, if I had a different skin color, if I didn't look the way I did, what that experience would have been like. Cause this person had was a force to apologize to me after viewing the cameras. I could have been in another country and even in the, in the city, I could have been arrested. I could have been because of, I wouldn't have been given the benefit of the doubt. And so I think for those of us who are privileged, who do have money, who do have resources, access to things, mm-hmm. it's like, it's so important to give back. And, and that's something I've seen through the, the dress collective and my own volunteer endeavors. And, you know, I, everybody knows I work in philanthropy and I love it. And so I want to encourage, like, just like you found out, it is the, when we're talking about values and who you are underneath all of these, this social armor, giving back is the best thing. It makes you feel amazing. And it, it, I think it really connects you to the root of like who you are and who we should be as a society. Absolutely. And I, 
you know, I referenced blinders earlier and I don't, I don't ever want to feel like in the city I live in or the community I live in that I don't truly understand it. Um, it, you know, it's so mind blowing that our city has, um, homelessness issues, pervasive homelessness issues. And that on nights like tonight, even though we consider it quote unquote warm right now for a Winnipeg winter, Mm -hmm. I mean, we're hovering around zero in December, which is unheard of. Um, but every night there are lineups at the main street project, some mission, and, and we're not talking a couple people. We're talking a lot. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, and so our, our conversation has really evolved to get here, which I love. Um, but there's so much happening in our world that we just don't even see that we're not privy to. And so I don't, I don't want to get to a place in my life where I don't truly understand what's happening, um, in our own backyard. Yeah. And I want to be able to do something about it because again, I, I sit here, I, I have a job, I have a home, by all means, sure, I've gone through lots of struggle in my life and it's been a hard year, but I sit here and I still have so much to be thankful for and mm-hmm. so much opportunity. And I I want to make sure that I'm never losing touch with that. And if you think about even in, in professional careers and being a leader, you have to be eyes wide open to everything that's happening around you. You need to be relevant and current and connected and to know what's happening in order to best respond to the world around you. And especially when you think about if, if, if there's any way that you can better understand that or walk a day in somebody's shoes, you're better able to connect with people and motivate and inspire people. And everyone's got a different background and a different story. And, and Winnipeg, thankfully, is such an incredibly massively diverse place because it has leaned so heavily on immigration over the last few years. Mm-hmm. So, so we, we have gotten to a point where we're, it's, it's incredible. We're so used to it here. Yeah. Winnipeg is an, in, Winnipeg is an incredible place for that. It, but you have to be open to it though, because I think like some of us of you know, like we, could be, as you said, like have blinders on because we're just not going to different places. We're not putting ourselves, we're not volunteering in different areas of the the community. We're not experiencing mm-hmm. those diverse communities. And until you do, like, I, I want to encourage people this holiday season to try and find a cause that's meaningful to, to them. You know, mm-hmm. you don't need to tackle people experiencing homelessness. You don't need to, um, to donate or give to any particular group, but but try and find one that, that is different than, than who you are. Um, and, and because with that giving back, you're going to, you're going to understand, you're going to be able to be more empathetic and understand what this group does. One of the groups I work with is, or, and I've donated to and worked with in the past is called Wabung Abanujiak. And they're a fantastic women's organization in, in the North end that is helping break the cycle of violence. It's providing day programs to kids. Um, they're truly fantastic, but it's, it can be a little bit uncomfortable if you've never been in an organization like that, or even a place like that. And I just want to like, what we're, you know, we've talked about being uncomfortable today. Like that's like growth requires being uncomfortable. And so whether it's, yeah, whether it's volunteering at one of these places and and meeting people face to face, it is an uncomfortable experience, but like you're going to get so much out of it and hopefully give back to 
to others too. Um, I wanted to ask you about what you're doing. You're, you're raising funds and awareness for a particular organization. I feel like we've come around circle and we can come back if there's anything else. Um, cause there are questions about leadership we want to talk about, but yeah, what are you yeah. doing for December and who are you doing it for? Um, so I just decided literally just last week, um, I'd been thinking about it for a while just to spend the month of my birthday, um, promoting and supporting another cause. Um, so I, I, I clarified that I do not need to celebrate my birthday for a month or even a week. <laughs> um, but I, I want to use that moment and, and my opportunity and my privilege to talk about an organization and a cause that really needs it. So I, I don't, I don't need presents. We're clearly not getting together this year. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to spend my time trying to elevate and bring awareness to an organization called Ghani Ghana Chick. Um, and so it's, it's, um, a little bit tough to spell, uh, it's K A N I K A N I C H I H K and Ghani Ghana Chick is a nonprofit organization, um, right on McDermott street in Winnipeg. Um, and I first actually heard about them through United way a few years back. And so back when, uh, Athena leadership hosted its change leaders conference, part of the funds from that conference, um, in addition to supporting the leader of tomorrow scholarship, uh, were donated to Ghani Ghanachik, specifically the Butterfly Club, which focuses on developing leadership skills for Indigenous girls and women. And so the Butterfly Amazing. Club is just one program um, through Ghani Ghanachik um, that is helping to support and connect the Indigenous community in Winnipeg. And so Ghani Ghanachik right now has has um, several programs that support um, men and women, children um, in our city and in, in our community. Um, and they have a whole variety of them. So Ghani Ghanachik, like many others, has been hard hit this year in terms of funding. And so I wanted to spend my time um, bringing that organization to light to people who may never have heard of them before. Um, and if I could, raising money for them. Um, because that, to me, is so much more meaningful than receiving something. I don't need any more things. Mm-hmm. I don't need that. Um, but if I can ask of somebody to spend one minute, two minutes, five minutes, reading a little more about this organization or donating to them. I think that is probably far more powerful um, than, than spending my time thinking about, you know, what other good I can collect. And so um, Ghani Ghana Chick, um, their, their website is um, Ghani Ghana Chick.ca. So there can be donations through there. There can be donations through um, directly through, I think their. uh, I think through their website and maybe, maybe through United Way. I'm not sure. But anyways, pointing a really worthy organization. And uh, really, if you look at it, not, not a big lift on my part whatsoever. All I have yeah. to do is talk about this organization and encourage others to learn more. And there's so many like them. It's not the only one. Winnipeg has hundreds of incredible organizations, family resource centers, um, and other nonprofits that right now are doing everything they can. And they're struggling to try and lift our city up in such a difficult time when the need for basic social supports, basic social supports like food mm-hmm. and diapers are at an extremely high demand. So mm-hmm. I think United Way, I want to say, has given out something like 80,000 basic social support kits to families wow. this year. And that was in the first, that was in the first, I want to say half of the year, or the first half of when COVID really hit. And we're only a city of 750,000. Um, and so, so when you think about how many people, I think that's one in three families is now reaching out or, or will need help from the family resource center at some point, um, that that's scary. Uh, and that's pretty powerful stuff. And so, 
I want to use my voice to try and help something like that. And I think you've heard me say before, if you have something to say and a voice to say it, put your hand up and be part of the solution. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, some of this will go back to that, the social media dialogue, but, um, if you're going to point your finger at somebody and say, you should, you should be better or you should do something better, or I don't like the way you're currently doing things. That's okay. But come at it with a solution. So, um, easy to throw stones, but I hope your stone comes with a note attached to it that says, <laughs> I actually think, I actually think this might be our path forward or here's how, how we can think about doing it better. Yeah. And make sure that you're, you're doing something yourself, you know, like it's like, there's like mm-hmm. what I love about this story is that it's, we all have a, a platform. Um, and if you have people listening to, you don't need to be, you don't need to worry about like, I don't have enough money to donate or I don't know, you know, I can't get myself mm-hmm. to this place to volunteer, whatever. You can just share their, who they are and what they do so that Absolutely. it might prompt somebody else. Yeah. To, to support them. Um, I wanted to like, we haven't totally talked about leadership, but there are some questions that have come in from, I, I posted this question on my spin account. And so why don't we move into that and, and we'll, we'll probably wrap it all up in a, a nice little bow anyways, but we're at 50 minutes and <laughs> I always want to be, I was like, this could be a short podcast. And then it's like an hour and a half later. I'm like, Oh God. Okay. And Lindy is my first guest that I've put on and I'm super, super really, I'm so excited no about this, this, this episode, but let's get into the question. So, Okay. How do you inspire the uninspired? And this is, oh, I know, I know. That's what I'm trying oh, to say. Wow. Like, okay. So from a management, like, so both of us have teams, both of us have managed yeah. people. And it is, I don't think people realize that that comes along with the director title or the VP title. Like it, you, once you get up into this, into a manager role, you're going to be in charge of leading people. And it is, a significant, a significant part of the job. And if you're not interested in that, I don't, per, my personal per view is that you shouldn't try and reach to those levels because you're going to be responsible for other people and, and you can be responsible for their careers too, but it can be hard. Absolutely. And so motivating teams, you know, this, my spin title is, uh, is motivator and I try and motivate people too when I'm in my professional career and it can be hard. What are some things you've done or how do you, how do you figure out what makes them tick and then ignite that? Mm-hmm. Well, I, I honestly think you just answered it there. Um, you got to <laughs> figure out what makes people tick. So uh, if somebody is uninspired, it honestly might just be that they're at a point in life when they're just, they're exhausted and they're experiencing stuff outside of work that you don't know about. So I do think at the root, you, you have to know the people you work with and you got to be willing to talk about things that are not work related to truly build an understanding and trust in a relationship with somebody, because you gotta, you gotta dig deep on that trust, especially when times get hard case in point right now. Um, but understanding what their motivators are is literally it. So you just said what makes them tick. That's it. That's how you motivate people for some people. Um, it might be compensation, monetary compensation for others. It might be the flexibility to spend time, with their family or to have more vacation time. Um, for some, for some, it's the accommodation of dropping off kids, um, a little later in the morning at school, because that's what makes their life easier. When you think about, you know, as a, as a leader, somebody in your professional career, if you are constantly focused on what will make others lives easier, you will be successful. And that goes both ways, managing up, managing down. So if you're leading a team, 
you have to think about what is going to make this person's life easier. What, what do they get really fired up about? What makes them happy? What makes them excited? Come up with something that you can deliver on to that, that that's it. That's literally it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and in terms of what would make your leader or your boss's life easier, you know, if they ask you for a deliverable or a project, you got to think about the next three steps that they haven't asked you for. Okay. So I've completed this project. Then what, what's the next step? What, what recommendation can I come with? So don't go to them with hands out saying, I don't know what to do. That's go the worst. That is okay, the absolute here's, worst. <laughs> here's my challenge. And, and we all learn and grow through this. Here's my challenge. Here's the three different uh, options I've identified. I've thought through the pros and cons of each of them. Um, which one do you think might best suit us? Or for example, um, you know, a, a lot of my leaders do uh, a lot of different speaking engagements. I can say, okay, here, here's an engagement. Um, this is what we can talk about. And I've prepped some of this material for you. Okay. Well, that's great. Like these are just little things, but it's about how to make somebody's life easier and what makes them tick and what makes them happy. And that looks different for everybody. So there is no one size fits all approach. Um, things that motivate and inspire me and get me charged up don't necessarily get my colleagues charged up. Um, and so it's, it's, I think, I think it's easy to say that, you know, if you, if you offer everyone the same challenge to the same goal and give them the same reward, like, sure, maybe they'll go for it. But um, inspiring the uninspired, it's really just about the root of um, getting to know somebody and connecting with them on a human level. And, and if you have the privilege of being in a leader position, you have to show vulnerability. So, you know, if you're going to ask about somebody's weekend, really listen and listen to what they have to say, or, or if there's something in there that maybe, you know, like, ah, like sounds like you maybe had a challenging weekend and, you know, your kids screamed all weekend. Like, is there, is there something I can, something I can do to, to make your life a little bit easier right now? Uh, and you've got to be willing to share back. It can't be a one-way street. It's always a two-way conversation. Dialogue and trust is a two-way street. Um, so just being real, uh, I've lived part of my career, um, you know, really, really trying to be a different version of a leader that I thought I was supposed to be to fit in with a culture. It didn't work. <laughs> Surprise. Yeah. yeah. Um, so the more, the more you can be yourself, the more comfortable and the more happy you're going to be um, at work and in life. It's just so much easier to be yourself. And that's, that's what makes the best of us, the best of us. Um, you know, some people find their gifts a little later in life. That's totally fine. Everyone, everyone in their own time. That's how it works. I love that answer. I loved it because you touched on, on managing up too, which was actually another question. And I think we just answered it because that can be, (laughs) that can be really challenging too, is when you're, when you're a leader and you are simultaneously trying to show your leader, your boss, whoever the light of this, Mm -hmm. like what's the best way to go. And it's really, I don't love using the word influence, but I think it's sort of like influencing people to this to this outcome that will benefit everybody, but you need to figure out how different people are influenced and motivated and, and getting them to that sort of end goal. Absolutely. And I've had different, very different leaders who expect very different things. And I think what you said about like thinking three steps ahead is so critical because when I'm managing teams, I've had to, I've had to really push certain members in my past where I'm like, okay, you brought me this problem. I don't necessarily care about the solution right now, but I want to know how you think. And if you're just bringing me a problem and saying, I don't know what to do, I don't know how you think 
in addition to this now being my problem too. <laughs> and I need to figure that out because we, we have to, I, I'm not a micromanager. I, I want to let people fly. I want to develop their confidence. I want them to be able to have this autonomy and master their, their world. Um, but I, I need to trust that they can make these critical decisions without me signing off on things. And I, I don't love bureaucratic environments. And I found that if I can be vulnerable and show that I don't know everything, it helps them kind of like, okay, like relax into mm -hmm. saying, you know, I've thought about doing it this way. Not entirely sure. There's also this way, like now, what do you think? When somebody brings me that sort of a problem, I'm like, great, let's talk this through. But I'll always, if I, if I don't have a solution presented to me or of any sort, I'll be like, well, what's your recommendation? I'll try and get them to talk it through a little bit. And I love mentoring people. I love teaching. I mean, it's part of why I love being a spin instructor is because I get to like motivate and teach people. And certainly I can see that even at like a very, like at like a, a this level where I'm with people for 45 minutes, certain people are going to be motivated by eye contact, which I know you are. And so like, like <laughs> Oh no, she's seen me. Linda she, and I will like, she's seen me. <laughs> she seen I me. feel very visceral. <laughs> I need to keep going. Oh, you're close. Oh, and and other people want <laughs> I to. <laughs> I feel seen exactly. Some, some people want to be in the back and they just have their own experience, and then they'll yeah. send me something like this long message afterwards. And it's always so interesting to me the different kind of riders that I have, and understanding that not everybody is going to be motivated by me being in their face or me like talking directly to them. Sometimes they just want to have this like uh, this almost like tertiary experience. But I love I love the managing up and anticipating people's needs and then also, you know, understanding motivations. Um, I, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, I think that that's a perfect example of sort of flexing your, your, your potential failure and, and resilience muscle. Um, you know, it's scary. It's scary to put options out there that may not could be completely off the mark, but that's your opportunity to learn. So, um, and, and constantly making the lives of others easier around you will 100% make you a better leader. You know, some people would say they subscribe to servant leadership. Sure, you could call it that. But um, if you are going to your your boss or your CEO or your team or whoever, you, you just you, you got to think about how to make their lives easier, what solutions fit, what what could be your options, just always thinking that three steps ahead as much as you can three, five, 10, whatever it might be. And sometimes you might be surprised with how far you can get with that. Oh, I, I, you keep the, like, as a leader, you, you keep the people who are helpful, like at, at closest to you, right? Like you, you promote them, you bring them in because you, you know that they're going to get the job done. I have some amazing people that I've worked with from interns to, you know, now they're, they're working in other jobs and the people that I love to help with their careers are the ones who have an incredible work ethic who are willing to step up and say, like, put their hand up and volunteer for something, even when they don't know it a hundred percent and they're not completely comfortable because they're willing to be vulnerable. They're willing to have a bit of failure. And they, I, I hope that they, they know they can trust me to like help them through mm -hmm. that. Right. Um, this next question was about feedback and criticism. And I feel like mm -hmm. it's kind of a question that you're asked in an interview all the time. <laughs> it's like, how do you accept feedback and criticism? Yeah. But I think it's more, I was thinking about this question. So maybe this isn't the way they intended to ask it, but when you're doing big things and you're in a higher profile role, whether you're 
like, you know, I'm developing a social media sort of community on, on Instagram with Hannah Rose Finn, I feel more exposed. And I think when you do a new project, whatever it is, you may be hundred percent confident in it, but it can be hard to accept feedback and criticism. What are some things that you take into conversations about criticism, like whether it's in your, your work life or elsewhere, because I feel like you appear to be a very confident person and, (laughs) and, but we're all human. And so what are some sort of like perspectives you might bring when having conversations about where you're either on the receiving end or giving like, uh, well, that's a really good question. And either way, whether you're giving or receiving, um, feedback and criticism should never be a surprise. So that's number one. So if you're sitting down for your, I don't know, once annual um, performance evaluation conversation, whether you are giving or receiving feedback, it should not be a surprise. Your once a year shouldn't be the time where somebody drops a bomb on you and says you're doing a terrible job and, mm-hmm. and vice versa. If you're the leader in that situation, that should not be the first time that person's hearing that. It should be an ongoing conversation, 100%, again, based on trust. So it, should, it shouldn't be hard to have candid conversations with the people around you, um, whether it's in work or life. So that, that applies to both. Uh, it has to be an open conversation. There has to be trust there. And trust, again, is built on vulnerability. So um, I think feedback, little and often, little and often, constant dialogue, you know, literally volleying back and forth in terms of like, can we do it this way? Can we do it that way? Um, I don't think that way works. Let's explore this. Like constant, 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 constant. Um, and it should never be a surprise because there's nothing worse for either party in that situation or whether you are the giver or receiver. There's nothing worse than being surprised by something and feeling like, oh, yeah, like, like, wow, I did not see that. Like, that's, that's not nice for anybody. That's not, that's not nice. Um, and so again, I think delivering feedback and criticism with grace, um, I'm, I'm a blunt person and my overdone tendencies are to get really, really, really impatient, which I don't think surprises anybody and get more, more blunt. Um, and so I, I think just trying to be as honest and open as possible ongoing is the best way to go about it. And I want to be challenged back. And I, I am challenged back often. Um, you know, and, and you said that I seem confident. Well, not confident all the time. I was nervous to start this, <laughs> this podcast with you Sunday morning. I'm like, I do I, you know, cobwebs in my mouth. I'm ready for this. Do I have my thoughts gathered? Well, maybe not, but that's how life goes. Sometimes you're just thrown into things mm-hmm. and you, you just got to go with it. So yeah. swim, just go with it. Um, so yeah, feedback should never be a surprise. I don't think I can underscore that enough, but that grace, you got to think about that grace. Like if you're giving tough criticism or feedback to somebody, put yourself in their shoes constantly, put yourself in their shoes, put yourself in the shoes of people around you every day, whether you're trying to understand a different perspective in your community or whether you're giving feedback to somebody or you're receiving, um, you always got to put yourself into their shoes and that, that will develop your empathy and understanding of different perspectives. So that's part of it too. Everyone will receive feedback differently. We're all Mm -hmm. very different characters, again, driven, driven by different motives. Um, so some some people can handle really blunt feedback. Some need a little more of a, a dialogue or conversation. That's totally okay. That's part of coaching and mentoring people. That's okay. Yeah, I, I love that. It should never be a surprise. And if if you are waiting to give somebody feedback, you likely have a list of things. And it's going to feel like everything they know to be true about this trust that you've developed has been broken in that moment. 
um, I, I can't remember the Kim Scott radical <laughs> candor is the book. And it's, it's, it's talks about this, like being honest with people in the moment. Um, and as you go, because you care about them. And so giving people feedback actually means that you care about them and their journey and the author, whether her name's, I think it's Kim Scott. I'm pretty sure I'm crossing my fingers. <laughs> and I don't have to edit. Right like I know and I do not. So <laughs> I'm like, could you just confirm? Um, she talks about how she did this as a manager where she let somebody go. And he was like, why didn't anybody tell me? Like, why didn't anybody tell me that I was underperforming and that I was at all this whole time? And it's because there's fear of having that crucial conversation, being really open and honest. Um, and I think that's super, super important. And I also think that like when it as applies to like, there's going to be criticism from everybody about, there's always going to be naysayers. I talk about this a lot in communication strategy work with clients and Sometimes I've been pulled in for issues management, crisis communications, and I'm like, you're never going to win every single person over, but that's okay because you never, ever will anyways. And as we talk about you know, cancel culture and all these sorts of things, there's always going to be naysayers who love to be on the other side of something and to sit in their negativity, and that's just the way it is. And so when you're accepting criticism or feedback from somebody, also understand that some of it will never be will never be like positive for you. It could be coming from somebody who, who has intentions that aren't aligned with what you're trying to achieve. So if you're doing something new as an entrepreneur and your friends and family don't quite understand it and they want you to stay in like your box of they, who they know, know that like, don't accept that feedback as being the, the gospel truth. Like, there's going to be, you have to sort of discern and like create some boundaries from like how you accept it. And that doesn't mean like anytime somebody criticizes you or gives you feedback, like you're like, you just don't know my truth. <laughs> you just continue with it. But <laughs> you're going to, you're going to ruffle some feathers sometimes. And you have to sort of like develop this barometer of like, okay, does this serve me? And it requires taking a really good, like hard look at yourself and, and seeing an objective point of view that might illuminate some of your blind spots. You have to look at where it's coming from, too. Mm -hmm. It's If your leaders are sharing guidance with you, as hard as it may be, that's that's a gift for sure. So we always say feedback is a gift, even though sometimes it's really hard. But no matter what scope you're in, um, you got to look at where the feedback, the criticism, sorry, I should say, is coming from. It's easy to criticize other people. And I read, and again, I cannot attribute this because I don't know where the quote came from, but I read that you will only ever be criticized by people doing less than you are. And so you got to think about, and this part goes into a Brené Brown thing. You got to think about who's standing in the arena with you. And so I think you touched on that at one point, maybe in your, in your podcast. Uh, and I, you know, I reference Carol Dweck, who's talking about a growth mindset. I talked about Brené Brown. Um, and I think Jim Ron in, in my TEDx talk. Um, but really when it comes down to it, Feedback is one thing. Criticism is another. And so you've got to look at where it's coming from. Um, and if it's coming from those who are doing less than you and who are um, sort of shrouded in whatever realm of shadows they, they're in, like you've got, to, you've got to stand in the arena with somebody if you're going to throw stones at them. Mm -hmm. 
So I, I was hoping that criticism can be different things. I was really hoping you were going to come to that because I, I love that. <laughs> I was like, I, I love that quote. And it can be really hard because there's people that you care about in your life. But like coming back to the very beginning of this podcast episode, we talked about, you know, how in your, in your, uh, how to fail better discussion, you were saying there's five people, you know, you're the sum of the average of those five people that you surround yourself with. And what I'm trying to make my goal for this year is to surround myself by people who are, who have the same goals as me, who are working just as hard and, and incorporate those into my friendships and, and have them be, be alongside me to call me out, to inspire me, to challenge me, to make me better because, you know, you can, you have, we're in our thirties now and you have all these friendships and all these amazing relationships. And <laughs> you're, you're still under the 30 <laughs> under 30 list. You're just ever, ever green there. I, I feel like you have to actively seek these, these relationships and friendships out. And it's one of the reasons I'm so happy and feel so blessed to have you in my life because I feel like you make me better in every way. And I, I can only hope to have more friends like you who, who help inspire me to do more and be better, um, as I move along. Uh, did you have any final sort of parting words for us as we, as we wrap up this discussion on, on literally everything I feel? Well, yeah, I was going to say, I mean, I came into this thinking we were going to talk about, you know, failure, failure and leadership, but man, we covered a lot of ground here. Um, so I think I, I mean, if, if I'm going to try and summarize the last 60 minutes, uh, 2020 is a perfect example of what it's taken to build resilience and to show that it's a really uh, real thing and a real skill in every sense of the word. And if you think about um, yourself as a leader in your personal life, um, as well as a leader in your professional life, whether it's it's you yourself or whether you're leading a team or as a person, you have to think about what your deepest values are that at the end of the day, when, when all things are stripped away, that title, that job, um, perhaps your home car, doesn't matter, what is left and what's driving you. So as we head into 2021, which is not the land of milk and honey, as we know, um, it's, <laughs> it's still going to be another tough one ahead we got to think about what it looks like on the other side of that. So what are the, what are the goals that are most meaningful? What are the values that are most meaningful? How do you want to feel at the end of this? So knowing that there's going to be that road with the peaks and valleys ahead, how do you want to feel at the end of it? Um, And how do you want to look at yourself objectively in terms of like, will I be proud of myself on the other side of this? Will I be proud of how I've treated myself, how I've treated others, how I've led others. Well, I, I hope I am. Um, so there's, there's some, there's some deep stuff in there in terms of self-reflection. Um, and that, and, you know, I'm not saying anything that's original thought. It's just a matter of taking that time to dig deep and think about what you want out of life and what's going to drive you there. And those really at the end of the day are, are, they're just values. I just love that. I just love that. I think, you know, as you said, 2020, I hope people, can see that it can be a gift. Um, there, I, I talked a bit about this in, in an email I sent out about grief to my email subscribers. And there's research lately that shows that there's a sixth stage of grief, which is finding deeper meaning and learning. And if we can apply that to our failures, if we can apply that to loss, 
I think we can come out better for it and, and know that this is coming from a person who has lost people. And I can still see that there's been learning and beautiful things to come out of that experience too. I think we're going to wrap it up. It was an amazing talking to you, speaking with you. I feel so inspired. I just want to go and like run a marathon or like start a business or something right now. Um, I I think you're, I think you're already doing that. (laughs) Um, last thing I'll say is, is, uh, I might cut this. Lindy, do you remember having the handle? I run in heels. Oh God. Yes. Yes. I do. No, I still use that. I still use that analogy often. I run in heels. Yeah. Okay. Well, from the woman who also runs in heels, thank you so much for being on the Yes You Can podcast. Lindy Norris, everyone have a great day and we will see you on the next episode. Mm.